Duke of Hastings says goodbye to Bridgerton, Olivia Rodrigo drops her new track, Tom Hanks' son declares it to be White Boy Summer, and James Charles posts a serious apology video. We're Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunwurrung people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. I feel like even though it is like the middle of autumn now, it feels like definite hot girl summer vibes for us this weekend. Yeah, we have been blessed by the weather gods this weekend, in my opinion. I love summer and sunshine. So I feel like we've made the most of it. Obviously, you and I went to the beach yesterday, which was very fun. I know. We had a little cute it felt like a getaway, you know? It didn't feel like we were in Melbourne. We went to the beach with our friends Kitch and Julia and it was super nice. Just spent the day there. Then we got our nails done and then got some hot chippies and wine. So yeah. look at that. So what nice. a dream day. Yeah. Who would have thought we we were in Melbourne though? Yeah, I know. But I think that was kind of the highlight of my week. I've gotten into that phase where it's like, what did you get up to? And I'm like, I just blank. Mm. I'm sorry. Nothing comes to mind. Yeah. I feel like my sense of time is very disorientated at the moment because between like COVID and thinking when people say, oh, last year, I think 2019. And then like with the weather being weird and then like me spending time in Brisbane, I'm like, okay, it's April 3rd, but or 4th today. See, I don't even know what day it is. (laughs) Yeah. It's a bit disorientating. It also is making me live in the moment more. That's so cringe, but Aww, that's why that's when so I saw the weather was going to be 30, I was like, right, we've got to make the most of it. Winter is coming. So let's go down to the beach. Yeah. Did you see that? Um, I think it's a tweet or a TikTok or something that's like me when the weather is hot, I have to get a drink or like I have to have alcohol when the weather's hot. It was it was kind of funny. Sorry, I hate butchering um, internet things. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, oh my God, the weather's nice. we got to make the most of it, make a day of it. So I'm glad we did that. Yeah, and just spend time outside after being in lockdown. And also, while we were getting our nails done, what was it? I had another celebrity moment where I didn't know that someone was someone's like stepdaughter or sister. Do you remember? Yeah, so... I don't even how did we get onto it? I think we're talking about Dua Lipa at the nail bar and then Oh, that's right. <laughs> Who because what was it? You were talking about how Miley Cyrus had like tweeted at Dua Lipa and was like, <gasps> yes. Are you single? and then when Dua said no, I'm not, Miley was like, I hope your boyfriend dies. And I was joking about that. And I was like, Oh, how funny, her boyfriend is Gigi Hadid's brother. And you were like, What? No. <laughs> I was no. like, Yeah, Are you sure? Hadid. Yes. They've been together for like maybe a year, maybe two years. I don't know. But, yeah, they're definitely an item. So imagine that household. Imagine Christmas, like Dua Lipa and the Hadid siblings. And then Zayn is there, like, what? (laughs) Stop it. Okay, I hope I'm not alone in this. I hope another listener listening right now is, like, having their mind blown because I had – no idea and I've seen Dewa's boyfriend quite a lot on the Instagram giving him a great stalk and he just looks like a very kind nobody like he just looks like an average guy so I had no idea so embarrassing mm-hmm. um, he's their youngest <laughs> sibling he's like the baby of the family and he's also controversially an anti-vaxxer 
Oh. Yeah, so a few months ago he got into some heat because he was asked by an Instagram follower if he would take the vaccine and he responded, absolutely not. And then another fan asked, why are you anti-vax? And he said, either I just don't get it, as in either I just don't get COVID or I get COVID and God willing heal from it and get antibodies rather than do that process unnaturally. Our bodies are made by the creator to do way more than we think. And so, yeah, now he's kind of been dubbed with that label. But then after a few days, he said, I'm not anti-vax. I think everyone has to be careful with each vaccine individually, looking at positive and possible negative effects. I've taken vaccines before, but as someone who has had a compromised immune system, I want to continue to learn about the many ways I can protect myself and others. So I just know that because people make jokes about it on Twitter in terms of like when the people are making fun of Jua or whatever, there's like something in the news, people will be like, Oh, Jew and her anti-vax boyfriend. And what did? Oh, no. So there you go. Some more pop culture facts for you. Maybe I wanted to stay in the dark about that one <laughs> after all. But some pop culture news that I definitely loved finding out was that Adam Brody, a.k.a. Seth from The O.C. and Leighton Meester, a.k.a. Blair from Gossip Girl, are married with children. I think we talk about them every third <laughs> episode or so, but I think it's like such an underrated Hollywood couple that more people need to talk about. But I think maybe one of the reasons we haven't is just that we don't know too much about them. I feel like they're not in the limelight that often until now. Yeah, so Adam recently shared the beginnings of their love story on Anna Faris's podcast, Anna Faris is Unqualified. Now, Anna Faris is um, an actress. She was in the Scary Movie franchise that was like huge in the early noughties, the parody of the horror movie genre. And she was also married to Chris Pratt and they recently divorced. So now she's doing a podcast. Good for her. Um, and Adam was a guest. So on that, we find out that Josh Schwartz, who's the creator of both the OC and Gossip Girl, he introduced the pair during a sit-down meal in a deli in Los Angeles in 2007, just as Gossip Girl was premiering. Afterwards, the pair had two brief encounters and then worked on a film together in 2011 called The Oranges, but Adam was seeing someone else at the time. But he was attracted to her and they had some chemistry and now a year after they wrapped the film, Adam was single. So they got together and the rest is history. Now they're married. So it's just so, so cute. And I really want to just put in a little clip here of the way he talks about her because I just think they're so sweet. And as like pop culture junkies, it's just so cute that Seth and Blair are married and two of the characters who like we grew up with are so in love. So Here's a little snippet now. Continued even to when we first started dating. I was like, I'm not sure. And come to find out, like, she's literally Joan of Arc. She's like the strongest, best person I know. She's my moral compass and North Star. And I just can't say enough good things about her character. It's crazy. She's the kind of person where, like, even as a four-year-old, she would have been perfect. And nobody has a bad thing to say about her. She's never been rude to, like, a single person in her life. I think that's adorable. I also think that Seth and Blair as characters would have been such a cute storyline. Would love to see a crossover. And in more pop culture news, the new queen of pop, Olivia Rodrigo, released her second single this week. And of course, it's blown up already. It's called Deja Vu and it has been on repeat on my Spotify since it's come out. I love it. What are your thoughts? Me too. I'm obsessed. At first, I was like, ooh, it's not as like grabbing as driver's license I was kind of like yeah but now I've listened to it like maybe three times a day 
obsessed with her Mm -hmm. i think she's so cool i'm so excited for her and obviously the theme of the song is kind of the same as driver's license in that it is about an ex-girlfriend where she's talking to her ex-boyfriend about the fact that everything he's doing with this new girl they did first so Mm -hmm. very sweet pop vibes people online have been saying it's a cross between lord and taylor swift which i personally don't hear the lord influence at all like i feel like lord was such more of like an indie artist and a lot darker than even Taylor mm. Swift. But now they've kind of all amalgamated to this like pop genre, I guess. But I definitely hear like the Taylor Swift influence from like ni- the 1989 era. Yeah, I don't really hear the Lord influence either, but I actually think it's a little bit more indie than um, Driver's License. I kind of hear that sort of side. So my little sister Katie, when she showed me, she was like, oh, like the start sounds like more rap, which I definitely can hear. Mm. So yeah, I mean, well, that's actually what we're going to talk about today, how we always want to kind of compare female artists to other female artists. And we kind of question whether they're copying one another or who did it first. And it's quite competitive and it's quite catty. Like we want to pit them against one another. So I feel like that's what's happening on the internet at the moment. Yeah, I feel like in some spaces people are super supportive of her and like very encouraging and they love what she's doing. But I went on TikTok like as a single got released and honestly like five videos came up within a few minutes comparing Deja Vu with Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift from her Lover album and someone's like made a mashup of them together because the bridge does sound very similar. And of course, like we know Olivia has said that she's a big fan of Taylor, but um, these comments were just saying like, oh, can she think of anything original or like this is just Taylor Swift in 1989, like very catty and I just think after what the discussion we've just had about Britney Spears and the way the media and uh, like us as a society in general love getting these young women, like she's just 18 or 17, 18. Yeah, something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like super young, like building them up. Like her driver's license song has 600 million streams on Spotify. You know, she's like hot property right now. And I just don't want to see her, yeah, be pit against other women or be torn down like that tall poppy syndrome of like you're getting too big for your boots now like come on like you're not that good when mm. everyone's like oh my god she's amazing like with driver's license obviously all music is inspired by something but especially pop music like that it's called pop music for a reason and that it has a formula to it and the formula is why they kind of sound similar is because it's like that pop that makes you want to listen to it more and more mm. i just found that very interesting so soon after Britney Spears documentary, you know, you see a lot of things, especially on TikTok, of like girls supporting girls, women supporting women. We should be lifting each other up, not comparing each other and tearing them down. Like I I haven't heard anything, but I think Taylor would be like super encouraging of this song and, yeah, you know, like she was a driver's license. So I just thought that was like an in- interesting observation for her second single at like 18 years old. Like can you imagine being 18 and having like the world be paying attention to you in that Mm. way and releasing a song that is so popular, the pressure of being like a one-hit wonder or the second single flopping or whatever. So anyway, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I find it just so interesting that if um, a musician maybe takes inspiration or when they sample a track um, from the past or even if, you know, oh, my inspiration is the Rolling Stones or Mick Jagger or whatever it is, it's kind of applauded and it's like, oh, you're, you know your musical history and you're well-versed in 
music. But when it is another female pop artist, it's like, oh, you guys are just copying each other. I feel like there's such a difference in the way we talk about it, which I just think is ironic. Is it ironic or is it misogyny? Internalized misogyny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we hold, in the same way we hold women to a high standard about everything, we hold them to a higher standard even in the music industry, especially in the music industry. So let's all be nice to one another. (laughs) And trust us just to take a light pop story about like a new fun song into this like misogyny talk, very culture club of us. There's been a new development this week in the Britney Spears documentary that was released nearly two months ago now called Framing Britney Spears by the New York Times. Since that was released, there's been a lot of attention on the Free Britney movement. We did a really in-depth episode on it if you want to go back a few um, and hear our opinions on it. But Britney has remained silent about the documentary until this week, where in a one-minute Instagram video of her dancing was posted and she had this caption, quote, I didn't watch the documentary, but from what I did see of it, I was embarrassed by the light they put me in. I cried for two weeks and well, I still cry sometimes. I do what I can in my own spirituality with myself to try and keep my own joy, love and happiness. Every day, dancing brings me joy. I'm not here to be perfect. Perfect is boring. I'm here to pass on kindness. Lots of exclamation marks, end quote. But every time I went up at the end of a sentence, there's like three or four exclamation marks. So make of that what you will there's been a lot of speculation about whether britney wrote this herself because fans are really worried about her and they think that she could still be held captive with no kind of access to the outside world and she just gets people on her behalf to or she doesn't like her conservatorship gets people on there on her behalf to post for her so it's a bit odd yes so one of the people who have spoken out about how Britney might not be writing her own post is one of her former makeup artists, Billy Bracefield, and he told Page Six, quote, I immediately knew it was not her. I texted her about it and she texted me back last night. What was upsetting about the post? It was basically a narrative denouncing her fans and the free Britney movement and people now taking a very conscious look at the facts and what is going on. She does not like being a victim. She never wanted to be a victim and doesn't see herself as a victim. She sees herself as a survivor and has navigated this with patience and strategy. Very interesting because, and the way she, it broke my heart the way she said how embarrassed she was. And it's like, what does she have to be embarrassed about? Because I mean... I guess we all did analyze like her mental health and it was like a very personal documentary, but we, I say we being the media and society, we were analyzing and kind of talking about the conservatorship and like the structures around her, not her at all. Like definitely didn't think of her as like kind of a victim. It was more like worry and care. Yeah. I think the documentary definitely helped humanize her and it kind of just villainized the media industry. And I don't think it made her look bad at all. It was more the systems that were in place that were like, oh my God, that's what created what we know as Britney, not herself at all. Yeah. But in February, Britney's social media manager, Cassie Petrie said, Quote, Brittany creates her own posts and writes her own captions for Instagram. She finds the Google images, Pinterest images, quotes, memes, and everything else herself. Nobody is suggesting any of that stuff to her. She generally edits the videos herself. 
If a video she sends in is edited by her social media team, it's because she gave specific instructions and asked for it to be edited that way. Then she sees it and decides if she wants to post it or not. And while these people are kind of defending her saying, oh no, she does it all herself, you can't blame us for analyzing it and for questioning whether it is her because they've created this culture and this structure around her, this like castle around her that makes us Mm. and like the free Britney movement want to be like, are you okay? Is this you? Because like, why would we believe anything people in her team say when they made her work like a horse during her, like when she was ill and like make her have no freedoms and she can't see her kids or she can, she's not really allowed outside, whatever it is, you know, you can't blame people for being like, Mm, don't know if that's real or not yeah exactly so her social media manager cassie isn't going to speak out about this because then she'd just get fired wouldn't she and the other thing is i'm looking through britney's feed and i'm like she's not doing sponsorships you know if she's in such control of her own feed and she's posting everything then like why does she even need a social media manager that's probably naive of me to say because obviously she's a massive celebrity and there's things that go on behind the scenes but if she's in like total control and doesn't need to get um like approvals for her posts and stuff it kind of makes me question what cassie does Mm. yeah we'll keep an eye on it but we're still not convinced calling all bridgerton stands big news from lady whistledown this week as netflix announced that regency heartthrob duke hastings played by reggae jean page will not be returning for the long-awaited season two so in the lady whistledown announcement netflix stated Dearest readers, while all eyes turn to Lord Anthony's Bridgerton's quest to find a Viscountess, we bid adieu to Reggae Jean Page, who so triumphantly played the Duke of Hastings. We'll miss Simon's presence on screen, but he will always be a part of the Bridgerton family. Daphne will remain a devoted wife and sister, helping her brother navigate the upcoming social season and what it has to offer. More intrigue and romance than my readers may be able to bear. Yours truly, Lady Whistledown. So what a bombshell. I don't think anyone of us would have picked that this would happen after the success of Bridgerton um, earlier this year. I have a couple of theories. Either he's been snapped up by a blockbuster film, like a Hollywood, you know, huge movie, and he can't, you know, choose between the two anymore, or he felt he couldn't, like, give any more to that character of Duke Hastings, or that it's such a small part in this new season where they're focusing on Anthony Bridgerton that he would just rather focus on other things and kind of, like, have a side character vibe. So Bridgerton is based on the books, the series with each book focusing on a different Bridgerton sibling. So this one is focusing on Daphne's older brother, Anthony. So obviously less airtime for... The Duke of Hastings. And another rumour that we saw out of Dumois was that the production company Shondaland and Netflix wanted reggae Jean Page to return only for a few episodes in season two, but apparently he refused. Apparently it was his decision to leave the show completely, so it wasn't a money issue, more an ego issue. But just to reiterate, that is just rumor. Page told Variety that he always only signed up to do one season. Reggae said, quote, it's a one season arc. It's going to have a beginning, middle, end. Give us a year. That's what Page said. Um, the early conversations were with his production company. He said initially that that was what drew him to the role is that it was 
a limited series. Quote, I get to come in, I get to contribute my bit, and then the Bridgerton family rolls on. And he kind of references the anthology of the books as well, saying, quote, one of the things that is different about this romance genre is that the audience knows the arc completes. They come in knowing that. So you can tie people in emotional knots because they have that reassurance that we're going to come out and we're going to have the marriage and the baby. I also wonder if they signed up to do, you know, like, here he's in it for the one season and then it focused on other characters but was it before they realized how big Bridgerton is going to be because according to Netflix 82 million households streamed Bridgerton within the month of its December release it's you know loved by many generations and many people did they expect people to think of him as such a heartthrob and want to see more of him Mm. when they were like in the early talks of like contracts and stuff yeah i definitely think he's one of the standout characters from the tv show everyone loves him everyone loves a heartthrob so i don't know it just feels strange to me that he'll just be suddenly cut off i wonder if they'll even surely they'll have to acknowledge it right like oh he died suddenly (laughs) Yeah, how are they going to do that? Yeah, maybe they'll say he died. In more Bridgerton news as well, there have been some spicy rumors of Phoebe Dinovar, a.k.a. Daphne Bridgerton, dating American comedian Pete Davidson. So they were spotted by a 14-year-old fan holding hands in London. Quote, I walked up to him and asked him if he was Pete Davidson, and he said no in an English accent. But later he said, I'm just kidding, in an American accent. It was quite funny. Yeah, so an anonymous source told British tabloid The Sun that the pair had supposedly grown close and that Pete Davidson had actually flown to Phoebe's home in North London as well as Manchester where Phoebe lives with her mother. The Sun reported that, quote, Pete is a real charmer and has hit it off with Phoebe who is obviously beautiful and talented. They've been enjoying each other's company although they haven't known each other long. The fact he has flown all the way to the UK shows how interested he is. So I am such a Pete Davidson fan. No. Ever since Ariana and him engaged, I love him. He's one of my like, I guess celebrity crushes, but like, I just think he's so, I don't know what it is. What is it that is attractive? I don't know. Why don't you like him? Honestly, I have nothing personal against him. I actually don't know him that much. Haven't even really listen to his comedy that much but I'm just so confused about how he's gotten all these hot famous girlfriends obviously Ariana Grande as well as model Kaya Gerber I think it is because he's funny I mean he's not bad looking either but I think it's like comedy also I love a New York accent Mm -hmm. I think that's very attractive he's friends with Machine Gun Kelly who is also very attractive they have this like bromance thing going on so that's why but he's not my top he's not my top like male celebrity crush but he's in there amongst it yeah like you have Harry Styles and then him and then I just don't get it that much (laughs) but good for Phoebe like imagine a guy I mean my boyfriend kind of did that but imagine like early in the relationship where you're like flying to another country just to like see if you like each other not even like in a relationship like what I'm doing but like just to see if you're interested in each other and you go on a few dates like flying from America to the UK that's like commitment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well hopefully it's COVID safe but Mm. romantic nonetheless We've had Pete Davidson's Big Dick Energy Summer, Megan The Stallion's Hot Girl Summer, and now Tom Hanks' son, Chet Hanks, has declared it to be White Boy Summer. We are going to play a little video now to explain what the hell we mean. 
Hey guys, um, look, I just wanted to tap in really quick. I just got this feeling, man, um, that this summer is, uh, it's about to be a white boy summer. You know, take it how you want. I'm not talking about like Trump, uh, you know, NASCAR type white. I'm talking about, you know, you know, me, um, John B, Jack Harlow type white boy summer. You know what I mean? Let me know if you guys, uh, can vibe with that and, uh, get ready, you know, cause I am. So Chet has declared it to be white boy summer. And what the hell does this mean? I am still wrapping my head around it. I also saw that in a follow-up interview with page six, he was like, it's everybody's summer. This is all inclusive. This is everybody. For me, since I'm a white boy, it's going to be a white boy summer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't hey, even know. That's what a pretty good impression, was. to be fair, of Chet Hanks. He says that the meaning behind white boy summer is having good vibes to everyone. There are also some rules for this white boy summer, like no Ralph Lauren polos or plaid shirts, no salmon colored clothes, not screaming loudly every time you take a shot, even if it feels good to say woo, not calling girls smoke shows. Some things that are white boy summer approved are also Gucci sandals with socks, dad hats, but only if you have a good barber. I just feel this is very chaotic energy and it's not the same as hot girl summer at all. Me reading the rules for white boy summer, I'm like, that's all that bad. Like, I'm kind of behind it. <laughs> yeah, I'm behind the no salmon color clothes. But this is just so chaotic because not just because of who he is as a person, but the fact that this is Tom Hanks' son. Yeah. Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, everyone's, like, lovable American dad has produced a son who is, like, ultimate frat boy mm-hmm. kind of vibes. I don't think this will catch on, to be honest, but it's quite entertaining to watch. Yeah, he definitely thinks it's going to catch on because he's actually shooting a movie for white boy summer right now and is definitely trying to ride out this publicity wave i don't even think i didn't even hear about him before this i didn't even know much about tom hanks's son so had you not like heard of him at all no not at all you didn't know he existed before no today mm-hmm. no oh, that's interesting because like i feel over the past six months he like kind of pops up every now and then like i see a lot mm-hmm. of stuff on twitter about him kind of talking in like i'm seeing a video he's like talking in a jamaican accent oh, yeah, and he's terrible. like he's got the energy like he's trying to be a good ally um to the black community but then just the mm-hmm. way he does things are just so random Yeah. And also while it might be like easy to laugh at him and be like, oh, it's lighthearted fun. It's also worth noting that he has domestic abuse allegations against him. Yeah. But randomly while I was researching about white boy summer, it kind of made me question, um, I guess, how masculinity is perceived by males and how we, and how they view being male and what it means to them. I think we, at least I embrace being a woman and I love being a woman and I love embracing my femininity and I know what that means to me. And I have like, my identity is very, um, I guess, tied with that. So it's really interesting to see how men are grappling with that. And I know we're literally, you know, Chet was literally just talking about like salmon colored polos and whatnot, but I think it kind of lends itself to a bigger conversation that men just don't really know what men are or who they are. Because I think I was talking to um, one of my friends about this and he was like, 
I want to be proud to be a man, but I see like the men on the news and whatnot. And I don't want to be associated. I don't want to be tied with that, but I still want to be proud of who I am. And like, can that work? Like, can that exist? So I found that really interesting to think about. Mm. But was he saying no to the salmon colored clothes because he's homophobic and he thinks pink is for like gay people or for girls? Or is it because of the um, stereotype that comes with like the Ralph Lauren polos and the salmon color and the boat shoes is like a very mm. Republican dress, right? That's what he's saying. He's not saying like you That's can't wear that because it's gay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, in the first video that we just played for our listeners, he's like, I don't mean like white men like Trump or whatever. Um, he had to differentiate that, which is interesting. Mm. Yeah, but it is a very interesting conversation around masculinity and yeah, what, what defines masculinity in this day mm. and age as well, especially when we're kind of breaking down the stereotypes of like a man has to be a provider or, bring home the bacon, fix the shelves, like all those kind of gender stereotypes uh, getting stripped bare at the moment. Yeah, and I have myself have been also questioning like what is masculinity and what what parts of it are positive, I think. Mm. That's where I think the wording of toxic masculinity is really important because that's that's the truth. Some parts of it can be toxic, but definitely not all of it. We all have femininity and masculinity within us, and I really embrace my masculine sides as well. So we know that, of course, it's not all bad, but when it is oppressive and it can easily, it so easily can be, um, that's where the problem lies. And I think even if we celebrate the good parts of masculinity, that could help shape what men are yeah. in some way. About a month ago, I read this really great article in The Age by ex-AFL football player Brandon Jack, and it really nicely touches on this notion of masculinity. We're so happy today to have Brandon actually read a bit of his piece out to us. So here he is. Too many men and boys do not like to talk about masculinity. Their eyes glaze at the mention of the word. At 23, I was the only male in a gender studies class at university. Our tutor asked me, in words to effect, when did you first realise what it meant to be a boy, how it affected your life? I was stumped. In the years since, however, I've thought a lot about that question. What is it to be a man? Maybe it's that we males don't feel a pressing need to be conscious of our maleness and how that influences our lives, that we don't fear walking along a footpath at night, that we don't walk with our car keys gripped between our knuckles in case they might be our best defence. Maybe a stranger on the bus has never told us we're too stuck up, too emotional, or to smile. Or maybe it's the language we use, the media we consume, and the existence we live. They all normalise maleness so deeply that we never come to question what it is. We need to rethink masculinity. It has been about power hierarchies and boys' clubs that have harboured the toxic misogyny which as extreme, manifests as sexual assault. Too often it has exiled those who have dared speak out. But any education that challenges entrenched notions of masculinity must understand its machinery is bigger than any one person. It needs rewiring, reprogramming. I think Brandon's words are so powerful and it is so great seeing a young Aussie man speak up about mental health like he so often does and I think it is so good for men to start grappling with what being a man means to them because it shouldn't be I guess like 
oh, that's just what it is. I also think it's really important for people in typically masculine spaces as well, mm-hmm. as like AFL and football and sport culture has such a a culture of toxic masculinity in itself. So that's really great for someone who's like in that space to speak out about the ideologies within that group. So we'll have to see if white boy summer catches on in the Northern Hemisphere, but otherwise... We'll be keeping an eye on Chet's Instagram feed for some more quality content. So this week, we are back with more YouTube apology videos. So back in the limelight is beauty influencer James Charles. So in February, a 16-year-old boy alleged that James Charles pressured him into exchanging illicit photos on Snapchat. Now, at least four more boys have come forward saying that the same thing happened to them. In YouTube fashion, he has issued a YouTube apology in which he states he asked these people what their age was straight away, and apparently they all said that they were over 18 and then later told him they were 16. So in the video, he's, of course, makeup free in front of just a white, you know, background, classic YouTube apology video. And he's basically saying the reason behind him messaging these young boys is that he's desperate and he wants a partner so bad that he's like kind of pressuring people to send him nudes. It's kind Mm. of confusing. Well, it's not really confusing. It's more of the same that we saw last week with David Dobrik of their power imbalance, even if these people were over 18 as a famous person and person with many, many followers. Why would you be going on Snapchat to get these like nudes anyway? In my opinion, I'm just like, you have so many people around you have influence, you have power. You could almost get anyone you want. Why are you trying to like message these younger boys, even if they're 18, like that's still a bit weird in my opinion around the nine minute mark he does admit that he's a public figure and that comes with the power balance immediately he also said in a podcast that he looks for boys as close to the age of 18 as possible which is frankly disturbing and from what you've just said it does sound like a power thing not a sex thing Mm. um he is so rich and famous and um he would easily pay like a sex worker for their work or find another, I guess, more legal way about it. But instead he chooses to use his power over barely legal or illegal children, which is quite frightening. Yeah, and it's also interesting that he uses Snapchat as a vehicle to find his part. In in the video he's saying, like, I just want a partner. Snapchat is primarily used by younger people. Like, I don't know about Mm. you, but I stopped using Snapchat when I was maybe 21. Mm. You know, same age as James is now. But also when it came out, when Snapchat first came out, there was all this hysteria about kids or teenagers sending nudes to each other because the image only lasts for 24 hours so like it's kind of dodgy as well that he was using that vehicle Mm. to get these photos or to like chat with younger people if he was really serious about looking for like a mature and steady partner which he says he's desperate for why not go on a dating app I know like some people think when celebrities are on dating apps they're fake accounts but I'm sure there are like accounts just for people with influence and power you know that you Mm. pay more money to or whatever so yeah he also admitted online to like a crime on video for like 40 minutes being like i was texting underage kids for like Mm. nudes so in response his youtube show instant influencer which he co-produced announced that there would be a new host 
although it's saying that it's not connected with these allegations. And he's taking some time off to educate and reflect on his actions. Of course, classic influencer, you know, or famous person, I guess, move. I think it is important, but also I like the police getting involved. Like, <laughs> I know that we always say, oh, I can't wait to see what happens or I'll be keeping an eye on this story to see how it unfolds. But I am super curious to see what happens here. I feel like James Charles especially is always involved in some sort of drama, but he's quite untouchable in the sense that he hasn't been fully cancelled. He's still got his massive makeup brand. He's, you know, still influencing heaps, still creating videos. So I am actually wondering if this is what gets him over the edge or what will happen? Will we just forget about this soon enough or Mm. will there actually be change? Yeah, I think it's with James Charles as well. It's a really good case study on what happens when you gain viral fame out of nowhere. You're not from a famous family like the Kardashians or, um, you know, through nepotism, your parents famous, you kind of get the industry. Like he was a 16-year-old makeup fan. His yearbook photo went viral and then he got launched into stardom. He got the cover girl, cover, all that stuff. And it seems like he doesn't think about the consequences of his actions sometimes, like when he got a lot of slack as well for hanging out with influencers like the D'Amelios, just like making content with creators in LA during the middle of the pandemic and on the side of TikTok that I'm on. I saw so many fans kind of calling him out about it and being like, this isn't cool. But then he still keeps getting like, you know, sponsorships and he still has millions of followers. So I don't know. He's kind of untouchable. And so, yeah, like you said, it would be interesting to see if this is the thing that tips him over the edge. But either way, it's just not on. What have you been listening to, reading or watching this week, Jasmine? This week, I have been reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. So you may have heard of it. It was quite popular last year. It is an American historical fiction novel that debuted at number one on the New York Times fiction bestseller list last year. It follows the story of two twins, Desiree and Stella Bigness. They were raised in a small town in Louisiana in the 1940s, and the young, light-skinned twins witness the violent lynching of their father. At age 16, they run after the city of New Orleans to start a new life away from their small town. And the book then goes through multiple generations in a kind of non-linear structure. Um, but it's so, so well written. I can't put it down. It's the type of writing that just sucks you in. It makes you feel like you really know the characters well. And you know when you get into a good book and it's like you're watching a movie? It's like yeah. that type where you're not conscious that you're kind of reading, which I love. Cool. I love that feeling. Yeah. It kind of like happens quite rarely these days with my short attention span. Um, but HBO has actually picked up the novel for a series, which Britt Renner is going to executive produce. So I can't wait to see what they do with that. I wonder if it's going to be kind of like, um, big little lies vibe, which was HBO as well adapted from an Australian book, but Britt Bennett is super talented and reading this has made me want to read more of her work. Incredible. I have seen the book cover floating around Instagram and Facebook book clubs and whatnot. So I'm glad that you've read it and enjoyed it. So I might check it out myself. 
And what are you recommending this week, Mags? I've been watching so much Netflix in the past few weeks. That's basically all I've been doing, been kind of switching off a lot. And one thing that I did finish was the entirety of Schitt's Creek, which is, of course, an incredible Canadian sitcom. But what I do want to recommend this week is the follow-up short documentary that follows it. It's called Best Wishes, Warmest Regards, A Schitt's Creek Farewell. So this mini doco basically looks at the making of the final season, but also looks back throughout the years. So for those who don't know, Schitt's Creek spanned six seasons over six years and was nominated for four Emmys. Um, it received a lot of love, especially in the last year or two. So it was so lovely seeing the making behind the scenes of this wonderful show. It really, really, really encapsulated all the love and magic poured into it by father and son duo Daniel and Eugene Levy. I think what was really telling after watching this was that they have really made something really special. I think it's such a timeless series that will age really well over time. Unlike some other sitcoms we might have loved, I think this one will like withhold values. One thing that I really like and that they pointed out in this mini doco that I didn't actually realize was that this show is a homophobia free zone and they did that on purpose. Um, it was a conscious choice to almost show what the world could be. They didn't really need to show all the like homophobia or any like rude remarks to prove their point. It almost did it by showing what the opposite could be. Another thing that they pointed out was that there was such great representation of just joyful queer love. You know, um, one of the writers that they interview um, mentioned that, you know, queer love is often seen through the lens of struggle or pain, but it was just so nice to have a beautiful representation of what it should and could be. So we've talked a lot in Culture Club about how there's always so many reboots and like, why don't they have new shows? And I think this series and this mini doco just proves that the opposite can be true and that new original shows are still out there and they're still being made and yeah it's it was so nice so I do encourage people who like are interested in films or tv shows or who have seen Shit's Creek to go watch this. I haven't finished Shit's Creek yet I think oh that was God. one of my first recommendations on the podcast mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. But I am really bad with shows. I like get into them and then I get bored. And so I start something new and then I never finish them. So I really, really want to finish the series in general. And then we'll definitely watch that afterwards. Yeah. Like most people say, um, the series does get better with each season. So enjoy the rest of it. Honestly, no rush. Just enjoy it. Well, I feel like we were on a quick fire mode today we've covered a lot of pop culture stories so we hope that you enjoyed this episode tune in next week for a special guest episode and otherwise we'll talk to you on the internet see you bye bye